Well, normally, I will start off the lesson by telling you where to turn to in your Bibles, but this morning I'm going to start on a different, from a different angle. Instead of telling you where to turn to, I want to tell you about the biblical author, and then maybe you can take an educated guess. The author that we're going to study from this morning, by the time he wrote his contributions to what we call the New Testament, he was an older man. And he probably could have been accused in his older age of becoming soft. Why would somebody accuse him of becoming soft? Because he's always talking about love. He always writes and talks about God's love for humanity. And he loves to talk about how we should love one another. This man, when he was younger, was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He met and talked with the resurrected Jesus. And now decades later, as the oldest living apostle, writing the gospel story about Jesus and then writing letters that we circulated around different churches, he feels like he wants to focus on what he believes is the most important thing. This morning, we're starting a sermon series on 1 John. I didn't give you a chance to guess it because I didn't know what you would say. So turn to the book of 1 John. The apostle who always talks about love. 1 John is very similar to the gospel of John. And as you read through 1 John, you'll notice how important this word love really is. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. See what great love God has just lavished on us. You see, he's just always writing about love. As you study through John, you'll notice if you sit down in, in just one setting and read through all of John, not just chapter by chapter, but the whole book, you would notice a few recurring themes. Like he has a few main ideas and he just keeps coming back to those main ideas. He, in the form of his writing is called cyclical reflection. And you'll notice like darkness, sin, truth, obedience, and love. Things like that. Those big main ideas are what John focuses on. So as we study through 1 John, as we transition into the summer over the next few weeks, instead of studying 1 John chapter by chapter, we're going to look at major themes. And this morning's major theme that we're looking at is God's love. So we're going to start in 1 John chapter 1. In verse 1. And I'm just going to read one verse to get us started. Now if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you can notice similar language in John chapter 1 verse 1 and in 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. He writes, We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. If I were to just stop on verse 1, there's two words that I want to point out to you that you would also find in John chapter 1 verse 1, and that's the beginning. When he starts his gospel, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Here he says, we declare to you what was from the beginning. Many years ago, when I was actually 23 years old at the time, and I was teaching for a day in a public school. And I was only five years or so separated from the students, so they took advantage of that. 
And they were pretty, being pretty loud and disrespectful, and I was having trouble keeping them quiet. So the teacher next door, who was a veteran teacher, walked in, and as soon as she walked in, they sat down in their seats, and then she just ripped into them and just started yelling at them and really getting on to them. And they sat up straight in their seats, and they didn't say a word to the rest of the class. And as she was leaving, she told me, sometimes I just have to put the fear of God in. And I thought, yeah, you do, because I was even scared of what she was saying. <laughs> but later, later I asked one of the students, I was like, she was pretty harsh with y'all, but you responded really, really well to her, very respectfully. Why? And the student said, because we know that she loves us. She had known these students for a long time. She had a great relationship with them. And her love came before her discipline or anything else. Her love preceded everything. When John starts with the beginning, what he's getting you to think about is Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Especially Genesis 1 and 1. Where in the beginning God created. He read through Genesis 1 and 2 and... God creates, and it's good, it's good, it's good, and then He creates human beings, and it's very good. Most of the time, when we evangelize, when we want to tell people the gospel story, we might start with Genesis chapter 3. Because what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Sin enters the world. But John starts with Genesis 1 and 2. He starts with, in the beginning. And I think the reason that he starts with the beginning... It's because God's love is the reason why He created in the first place. God's love precedes everything else. And John's message to us is to let us know how much God really loves us. That His love comes before all things. And in His nature, God is love. We'll skip over to verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. And if you're worried about missing those few verses, we're going to come back to it next week. Let's get down to verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and we do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now listen to this, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I told you John has a few main themes that he just keeps circling back to. One of those themes is not only God's love, but it, John is helping us understand the weight of sin and what God's love has to do with sin. But you just notice in these few verses, it's like John is saying, you don't need to sin. But you're going to sin. But still, you shouldn't sin. You should walk in the light, not in the darkness. You can't have fellowship with God if you're walking in the darkness. You need to walk in the light. But don't claim that you don't sin. 
Because we all sin, and if you say you're not a sinner, then you're a liar. But still, you should try not to sin. But if you do, we have an advocate, and his name is Jesus. And he atones for our sins, and not just ours, but for the whole world. That's kind of this theme. It almost seems like it contradicts itself. He's telling us not to sin, but he's also telling us we're going to sin. And that Jesus stands in for us as he dies on the cross for our sins. I have a friend who was struggling with blood pressure and blood sugar and several other health problems. He went to the doctor. They ran all kinds of tests on him. And the doctor told him, you need to lose weight. You need to exercise and you need to eat healthier. So I asked my friend, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to find a different doctor. (laughs) We don't like to hear hard truths. And we don't like to be told that we're wrong. We think if somebody loves us, they're just going to tell us what we want to hear. We don't like to be told that we're wrong. But that's how John starts with in the beginning. And that God is light. And in Him is no darkness. And although we are sinful people in need of God's grace, it still does not give us an excuse to walk in darkness. It's God's love. I titled this lesson, God's compelling love. It's God's love that compels us to walk in the light, to, to step away from a life of sin. So what does he mean exactly by sin? Is he talking about each individual sin that you commit? Because how often do we sin and we don't even realize that we've sinned? And some people think, I don't really sin at all, and probably your sin is the sin of arrogance, the sin of pride. You know, we all sin, and most of the time, we may not even realize what we're doing. In chapter 3, verse 4, 8, and 9, if you're reading from an English standard version, he uses this phrase, make a practice of sinning. Like it's your lifestyle. Like you're going to practice sinning, and then you're just going to keep sinning and deliberately sin. And I like the way the English standard version translates this. Because it helps me understand what John is referring to when he's talking about walking in the dark. <coughs> I helped you out with that when I moved the microphone away from the cough. Make a practice of sin. Deliberately sin. Uh, N.T. Wright is a great New Testament scholar. And he words it this way. The whole habit of life. That your way of life is just deliberately living in sin. He uses an example of Learning to play music. It's like you learn to play the guitar and you have these old songs that you used to play and you have certain notes and then you learn to play a new song. And occasionally your finger will slip and you'll play the old notes, but it doesn't mean that you go back to playing the old songs. You get back on track and you keep playing the new songs. So occasionally we'll slip up, occasionally we'll sin, but it doesn't mean we just go back to walking in darkness. We stay and the light. <clears throat> so what is sin? If you're going to define sin based on what John talks about in 1 John, he gives us several clues as to what he means by sin. One of the big ones is denying that Jesus came in the flesh. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. He calls it Antichrist. For those who say that the Gnostics, those who believe that Jesus just appeared to be a human being, a human being but wasn't actually a human being, That's a sin. That's denying that Jesus came in the flesh. He said another sin is a failure to love. A failure to put action behind your words. 
Another sin is to hate your brother or sister. In chapter 2 and verse 16, he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then in chapter 5, he just flat out says, all wrongdoing is sin. So you can take all these different categories and these different words and say, that gives us a pretty good idea of what sin is. You know, the Greek word for sin literally means to miss the mark. Like there's a target and you're aiming for God's target and you completely miss. So we know that we shouldn't sin. But we're told that we shouldn't sin, but we're saved by the blood of Jesus. So you still might ask yourself, well, why? Why do we try not to sin? Why do we try to walk in the light? Is it because we're afraid of being punished? Is it because we believe that someday we're going to stand before God and He's going to judge us? And we just don't, we don't want to be punished. Many years ago, I was in a church camp. And one night we asked the seniors who had just graduated to stay back for a senior devotional. We, we did a little bit of singing. And then after that, each adult that was there, we didn't really plan it out. Each adult was going to say a little something to the seniors. So a few adults went. I was thinking about what I was going to say. And when I got ready, it was quiet for a moment. So I started to speak. And there was this other guy that nobody knew very well. Kind of an eccentric personality. That was his first time to ever come to this camp and his last time. And as soon as I started to speak, he interrupted me. And he said, listen here, young folks. And he had this real strong southern accent. And he said, when I was young, I got a good job and started making lots of money. And I'll quote him. He said, I started driving fast cars and dating lots of women. And he said, I was strayed from the Lord. He said, one day, my watch got caught in a machine at work. And it crushed the right side of my life. And he said, if you start straying from the Lord, the same thing's going to happen to you. God's going to get you. And then he sat down. And I thought, I'm not going to try to follow that. I'm going to let somebody else stand up and follow that. The message that he was getting across to them, which again, he didn't come back to the camp anymore after that. He didn't let him, let him give any more speeches. But the message that he was getting across was that you should be afraid of God because He's going to get you if you slip up and if you mess up. And too many of us view God's love that way. Like we're in or out. And we, we try to do what's right, walk in the light, just simply because we're afraid of being punished, not because we love God and God loves us. I mentioned a few months ago a man named Jonathan Edwards. He was a preacher in the 18th century during the Great Awakening. And he was well known for his sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he would play on people's imaginations and he would talk in vivid ways about hell and how hot it's going to be and how scary it is. And, and people would respond to that message because they were afraid of going to hell. But what he discovered years later is when he went back and did some research that a lot of those people who responded to that message were no longer faithful followers of Jesus. They responded initially out of fear, but there was no love rooted in their hearts. Just a few years ago, an author named Brian Zahn wrote a book with a spin-off of that title, and he called it Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. Now, I haven't read Brian Zahn's book, so I, I don't know about the content in the book, but I, I think about what would John say about those two titles, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God or Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God? And I think John would say we're sinners in the hands of a loving God. Because John believes 
that God is enough. But we still have to ask the question. Skeptics ask this. The way that we function and think and operate in our culture, our American culture, is we say, if God is love, then how could God send people to hell? People wrestle with that question all the time. And I can give you a few answers. I probably can't completely and fully explain it to you, to your liking. But I can tell you one thing. The way that we define love as Americans, for the most part, is we think love means we get to do whatever we want. Parents, you love your kids. And loving your kids does not mean you let them do and behave however they want to. If you did, no offense, but that's not good parenting. You're going to be raising kids who are going to be out of control. And it's, I know it sounds hypocritical when you watch my son run around, but we do try and, and discipline him because we love him. But God's love for us doesn't mean that he just lets us do whatever we want to, but that's how we kind of view love. So we think, well, how could God punish us? How could God send us to hell? Shouldn't he just let us do whatever we want? Christianity is the transcultural truth of God, which means that the truth of God that we read about in Jesus Christ extends beyond all cultures. All cultures. You see, each human culture is imperfect and it's constantly changing. So our American culture does not set the standard on exactly what's right and what's wrong. In fact, we may struggle as Americans with the concept of hell and judgment. But you know people maybe who live in African cultures, and they don't struggle with hell or judgment at all. That makes sense to them. What they struggle with is forgiveness and not seeking revenge. Because God's truth will offend somebody in some culture at every point. Because cultures are imperfect. But God is perfect, and His love is perfect. So just because it may not make sense to us does not mean that it takes away from God's nature of love. And then we see all throughout the New Testament in the life and the teachings of Jesus that God loves us enough to give us free will. To give us the freedom to make our own decisions. God doesn't force you to walk in the light. He invites you to walk in the light. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, is famously quoted for saying, it's a fictional book, but he says, in the end, there's two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. Because God gives us the freedom to choose Him, or to choose to stay in the darkness. To choose our own path, to choose our own will. This is similar to Luke chapter 15, when Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. The father lets the son walk away. The son has the freedom to choose. But in this 